This morning, I have a couple announcements for you guys before we get into the message. Um, but first, I want to remind us that this morning is actually, we're commemorating Pentecost today, uh, May 31st. And Pentecost literally means 50th. And so it's the 50th day after um, Passover. And so for the Christian, this is a pretty neat day that we're commemorating because this is the day that the Holy Spirit was given to the church um, by Christ. And so it's a pretty powerful day for us. Um, But historically, uh, in the Jewish tradition in the Old Testament, uh, this was actually commemorating a feast called Shavuot, which was uh, the feast uh, of first fruits. And so they were celebrating the first fruits of their harvest for the year. Um, But it also landed on the uh, day that when Moses was given the law for the Israelites, and so the Torah. And so when you look back in history and you see that um, from the original Passover, there were 50 days, and then Moses was given the law on Mount Sinai. uh, And that was and came out on Shavuot, this uh, feast of first fruits. Uh, and then for thousands of years, then the Jews then commemorated the giving of that Old Testament law to their people, uh, the God giving the law to the people, to Moses on Shavuot. And then you fast forward to the first century church, and then uh, there's Passover, and then Jesus obviously dies and raises again. And then 50 days later, later, the Holy Spirit is given to the church. And so today, um, there's just this lineage um, uh, of just amazing moves of God that have happened on this day. And so um, with all that's happening around our world today, I just was thinking this morning uh, about how awesome it is that we're commemorating this day. And uh, that we need to invite the Holy Spirit to really break in and do something in the world we live in right now. Because without Jesus, it's just kind of doomed. And so as the church, um, what we're standing for is the fact that God is with us. And he's with us through his Holy Spirit that was given to his church. And so um, we call upon a higher power in Jesus Christ through the power of his Holy Spirit to actually mobilize us as his church to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be his love and his grace. And even today, as we talk about forgiveness, his forgiveness to an unforgiving world. And we desperately need Jesus in these days. And so I think it just is pretty powerful what we're commemorating today. Uh, The second announcement isn't so spiritual, but starting on June 14th, when we are all gathering back together again, we'll be at the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, there will be thousands upon thousands of us that day on June. I'm just kidding. Uh, but we'll all get back together again in the Boys and Girls Club. And we're actually going to be gathering in two services. So we'll have a 9 a.m. service and an 11 a.m. service. And that's for multiple reasons. Prior to uh, the COVID outbreak, um, we had talked about going to two services. And, uh, and then COVID stuff has happened and that's been tabled. And so coming back into gathering again, we figured it's pretty difficult to get to socially distance within the Boys and Girls Club, especially for our kids. 
Uh, and so we thought maybe we should just return with two services so that we can provide enough space for people that are uncomfortable and also provide an atmosphere for our, our kids that is um, conducive to learning and clean and sanitized. And so um, we're taking all the necessary steps we can to make sure that June 14th is a great experience for you, for you guys, both spiritually and physically. And we cannot wait to see you guys in person again. And as a staff this morning, we were just talking about the fact that we're kind of over talking to cameras and being in the studio every week. And we'd much rather be with you guys, worshiping with you guys together. And so uh, this morning, we're going to be jumping back into the book of Matthew and uh, talking about a difficult subject. We're going to be talking about forgiveness, particularly. And we're, we've been studying through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And so if you guys would just turn with me in your Bibles... Uh, hopefully you have them with you because you probably all have one in your houses. Uh, and so open your Bibles within your Matthew chapter 6 and let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Thank you, um, Lord, for uh, just the blessing it is to have life today. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come in power and in might. Lord, as we know, we need you desperately to break in in these times that we're living in, Lord, where we just live in. Uh, a world that is torn and divided, uh, even in the church, God, there's such division and such a polarization of your uh, followers. I'm praying, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would unite us and bring us together. I'm praying that your Spirit would lead your church to um, get down on their hands and feet and wash the feet of those on the hands and knees and wash the feet of those who so desperately need to know that you love them and you have grace for them. God, may we be the servants of all as you were for us, Jesus. And so we pray this morning, God, as we open up your word, that you would allow your word to accomplish in us what you intended for it to do. God, we do not want to be those that would read it and those that would say they believe it and wouldn't do it, but we want to be people that read it digest it, believe it, and actually move in power in what your word asks us to. And so Jesus, remind us this morning of your great love for us, God, through your word. We thank you in your name. Amen. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but there's been seasons in my life where I've had these very rigid daily routines, and those seasons have ebbed and flowed, um, partially because uh, I'm an Enneagram 7, and so it's always, I have lots of different things going on, and I can be 110% in on one thing, and then follow that thing through, and then go to 110% on something else. But seasons in my life where I've had to really structure and get really rigid, um, were especially the seasons where I was training for Ironman, and I, it was probably the most rigid I'd ever, have, I'd ever had to uh, be. Get up at a certain time every day, there's supplements and things that you take. Make sure you get water intake. You're diligently watching all your food intake for the day. Um, you're diligently accomplishing all your workouts every single day. Uh, you're diligently making sure that you get sleep every single day and enough sleep. And so there was this holistic approach because what you realize in completing a race like that is that it's not just about training and doing the workouts. It's actually about taking care of yourself on multiple levels. And so there's, um, it, it wasn't just about like getting the run in, but it was about eating right and getting enough sleep and drinking enough water and making sure you're actually prepared for the runs and the training that you're going to do. And what you realize over time, again, is that one of those things um, 
had to exist alongside of the others. You couldn't just do one of those things really well and expect to complete the race well. But they all contributed to your overall health and your ability to train properly and complete the race. So if you guys have been tracking with us over the last few weeks as we've been talking through the Lord's Prayer, then you know that all aspects of this prayer contribute to this holistic perspective of of God and our dependency on Him, both who He is and who we are in Him. And this prayer that He taught His disciples was a reminder really of what matters most. He was sort of narrowing it down. And there's something really grounding in the Lord's Prayer as you read through it. Even as you pray through it every day, there's these awesome reminders in it. And um, it, it really, it anchors us to God's priorities instead of our human tendencies that so often rule us and so often even ruin us. And one of my priorities, uh, or one of the priorities in this prayer that we find in Matthew 6, um, verse 12, and I'm going to skip uh, a verse today. We're going to go into verse 12, and then we're going to go into verses 14 and 15, and then we're going to leave verse 13 for next week. But there's a tie between verses 12 and verses 14 and 15. But um, there's this tie, and so I want to teach them together. But I want you guys to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 9. We're going to read through the Lord's Prayer together, and then we'll back up and go to 12 and camp there for the day. So it says this, verse 9, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse 12, if we back up, says this. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And I want you guys to think about that for a minute this morning. In light of what I said at the very beginning, that Jesus really is saying two things. That that part of our daily routine is both receiving forgiveness and granting it, that it's not just about what we know, it's not just about what we say we believe, but it's actually about what we do with what we know and what we believe as well. Um, it, but is that something that you think about on a daily basis? Um, because Jesus says you should, and it seems to be a really big deal for Jesus as he spends extra time communicating the point of this passage with regards to forgiveness. Once in verse 12 and then um, down into verses uh, 14 and 15. So if you look at me with verses 14 and 15 of the same chapter, of all the requests in this prayer, this is the the request, the the sort of two-part request that Jesus takes extra time to emphasize and to clarify. So listen how he does that in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So notice the relationship between these two verses, these two sections of verses, verse 12 and 14 and 15. The the second part in verse 15 simply makes the same point as the first. He just sort of expresses it negatively, right? If you forgive others, God will forgive you. If you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. And we heard something really similar to this passage earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, uh, in chapters 5 through 7. But I want you to hear again in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes what it was that Jesus said. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So in one sense, there's nothing super complicated about the ideas that Jesus is talking about. 
But in clarifying verse 12, Jesus couldn't actually be any more clear in verses 14 and 15. That forgiveness is really God's priority. It's his priority. It's his priority to you and it's his priority through you. That we not only receive forgiveness, but we are people who grant forgiveness. And so as I pointed out, Jesus repeats himself again in verse 15, just so there's no confusion about the point that he's making. But in another sense, the the statement sort of complicates things because some of you, many of you who have read this before, you understand exactly what I mean. We understand from God's words that as sinners before this holy God, we desperately need God's forgiveness in our lives. But we're these me-centered rebels who have resisted God Um, this God that is both king and this God that is also judge. And unless our sins are forgiven, like our our present condition of this spiritual death will actually lead to an an eternity of punishment. That's what we believe, like that we were lost without him. And it was because of the forgiveness of our sins that he's invited us and he's atoned for these sins so that we what we would call be saved, but we would be rescued by God himself. We would be passed over. And and so we also understand that from God's word, the gospel itself, the good news of Jesus is this amazing message about restoration as well. That, that, That it's about reconciliation with this same God and that reconciliation is only possible because of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And so we, we sort of affirm and we, we celebrate, we cherish the fact that we can be right with God by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It's only through Jesus. And so repentance and faith are the only things that we actually have to bring to the table in order to be right with God. We repent and we have faith in God's Son, Jesus. And so if that's true, then it sounds like Jesus is saying here in Matthew 6, 14, and 15 that if we're to be right with God, this is the messy part, then we must also make sure that we're right with other people in as much as it depends on us. And so, yes, come with repentance and faith, but also come without unforgiveness in your heart. And the question then is like, is that really what Jesus is asking? Is he really saying that we cannot be forgiven unless we forgive others? Is Jesus teaching us that if you have something against somebody else, then God's going to have something against you? And I think the answer is kind of yes and no. It's really a, a sticky portion of text. I think there are, are three sort of concepts that I want to talk about this morning that can kind of help us understand this tension that we're talking about, living between this yes and this no. And so I want to look at these three ideas and see if we can somehow make sense of forgiveness, of how forgiveness specifically relates to us um, and how, re- how forgiveness actually relates through us as well. And so the first idea is this, is this idea of giving and receiving mercy. In Matthew 18, there's this really powerful and well-known parable about forgiveness that that Jesus will go on to eventually share with his disciples. And we'll study this in five years or something like that. But I want to start in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 18, um, since it sort of sets up the scene for us. He says this, it says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which in our modern day equivalent is roughly like four and a half to five billion dollars. We're talking a talent is repre represents around 500, uh, I think thousand dollars or something like that. It's, we're talking a ton of money, a bunch. And it says, and since he could not pay his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is equivalent to maybe like eleven dollars or $12,000 our day. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw that he had what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What a powerful verse. Clearly in this passage, Jesus wants Peter, Peter to understand how God's generous forgiveness to him personally, like should personally inspire Peter to be just as generous when it comes to forgiving others. In fact, I think it's shocking to us when we read this passage um, that the first servant, the forgiven servant, is so severe with his fellow servant, right? He's been forgiven of much. And then with his fellow servant, even when he's pleading with them, he's choking him out. And that reaction, it just stresses this serious disconnect between what the first servant was given, but then what he refuses to give to another person. Uh, later on in, in the gospel, or not in the gospel, later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul um, addressed the, the, the possibility of the same disconnect in the church of Ephesus. And this is why he wrote what he wrote in Ephesians 4.32. He said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If there's a passage we need to learn, know, practice right now in our current season that we're in, like this is it. And so part of what, what, what's behind Jesus's emphasis in verses 14 and 15 is this very idea of giving and receiving mercy, or, or maybe we should say receiving, then giving mercy ourselves because of what he's done for us. And so Jesus in the whole paragraph leading into the Lord's prayer, we talked about this at the very beginning. He's talking about hypocrites. He's talking about those that say one thing and then practice another. They do something else. And so I think it's appropriate that Jesus sort of tees off on this subject. Don't 
tout your forgiveness when you aren't willing to be an extension of it to the rest of the world, to the, to others in your life. Like, don't tout the forgiveness that Jesus has given you when you're not willing to extend that to somebody else. It is important to the Lord that we become extensions of that forgiveness on this earth. And then there's this other concept we have to consider too, this idea of sort of treasuring and maintaining community and fellowship with one another. Like relationship is important to the Lord. And so like we see in verses 14 and 15, um, or earlier in the same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also connected a right relationship with God with the right relationship with others. If you look back at Matthew 5, 23 and 24, which we talked about a few weeks ago, um, Jesus said, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. He said, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer and offer your gift. And isn't it amazing what, what Jesus is emphasizing there about worship and reconciliation, there's this tie between the two worship of God, the, the holy God and reconciliation, both with him and with one another. And so when it comes to worshiping the most high God, reconciliation with others actually comes before singing songs and dropping your gift in the box at the back. Like we need to be reconciled with others, practice what we preach. The, the man or the woman who believes that they're honoring God by some outward expression of praise, but at the same time refuses to reconcile with their brother or their sister is actually sadly mistaken about what true worship with God looks like. Because that's an act of worship in and of itself. Reconcil practicing reconciliation with our brothers and sisters. And so the same idea um, comes out even clearer uh, many years after Jesus' ministry, the Apostle Peter um, gives these instructions to Christian husbands in, in 1 Peter 3, 7. He says, likewise, likewise, husbands, he says, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, um, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Listen to that. So he, he says, so that your prayers may, like, Live in reconciliation with your wife so that your prayers may not be hindered. And what is it exactly that Peter's saying? Yeah, I really believe that he's making the same point that Jesus was making in, in uh, chapter 6, verse 14 of Matthew. How you handle your relationships in all of your life has this direct impact on your relationship with God. Like in 1 Peter 3, the, the relationship that he's talking about is a husband's relationship with a wife. But in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus is actually addressing any relationship in which we're harboring unforgiveness to somebody else. And so notice that, that Peter doesn't say to these husbands, like, treat your wives well or else you'll lose your salvation. He says, if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. And so what does that actually mean? It means that God will not pretend like everything's healthy when it isn't. God's not a hypocrite, even to tee off of where Jesus was coming from in this passage. Husbands, when you're not honoring your wives as you should, our lovingly, like our loving heavenly father will actually bring correction when needed. And he, he may say like, why are you praying for a new job 
when you're not honoring me in the in your job or your role as a husband? Why are you praying for inner peace when you keep bringing strife into your marriage or into your workplace? Like go and make things right first. And and so we have to care about the holistic approach to forgiveness, to reconciliation and being at peace with one another. And so you, you see the, these hindrances actually end up representing God's discipline of sorts. Like they point us back to doing what's right, like going first to the people that, that we have beef with and reconciling with them, granting forgiveness to them. But in the same way, Jesus is reminding us about the Father's discipline when it comes to unforgiveness. God's saying, why are you coming to me in your time of need, asking me to grant you forgiveness when you won't go to the other person in need and grant them forgiveness as well? Like you're seeking to make our relationship right in spite of your sin, but you won't make that relationship right because of that person's sin. So first go and make things right. And so in, in this sense, this is not a passage about whether we belong to God by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. It's not a matter of us losing our salvation. This is a passage about how this loving father that we serve helps his struggling children to understand the importance of both forgiveness to them and forgiveness through them. And we have to remember that, like God has granted us his forgiveness, we in turn extend that to others. And so this is uh, about, this is what it means to have healthy relationships. And then Paul brings all these ideas together in Ephesians 4. And I want to read kind of a bigger section, including uh, verse 32 that we had talked about earlier. But starting in verse 30, um, Paul says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And so the last concept that I wanted to us to consider this morning is that we're actually to live and to display this newness of life. And uh, if you go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, he says this, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so John's telling us something here about this new birth, the, this newness of life in Christ. In chapter four, he gets more specific. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I don't know if you see like what John's doing there, but he's addressing the same disconnect that Jesus is talking about uh, in the parable of this forgiven but unforgiving servant that we read earlier. And, and so the, the concept is, is clearly connected to this reality of this new birth that's offered to us in Christ, that we are new people, that we've been transformed, that we're a regenerate people, that we've been born again through faith in Christ. And so this not only means a new relationship with God, it also means a new heart that we've been given. And as Jesus talks about this upside down kingdom that we live in, it's, it's we now live in this new kingdom, but we have renewed hearts. Like we have a renewed relationship with God. And it's a heart that's being conformed to Christ's heart. It's a heart that through which the Holy Spirit actually begins to produce fruit 
from us. It's this heart of love for God, but it's also this heart of love for one another and for others. And so th- this means that if, if a confessed, like professed follower of Jesus continues to persist in their life in this pattern of like bitter, unyielding for unforgiveness in their life, that he or she is calling into question this reality of this new birth in them. That's not like you. That is not who you are. You're a new person with a new heart. You're regenerate. You've been changed and transformed by the blood of Jesus. Like, don't act like the person who hasn't received that new life. I I, I want to, I want you to hear me this morning because uh, like a I believe a genuine believer can struggle with forgiving a person who's hurt them. In fact, there's many times in my life that I've really struggled with feeling the hurt and the pain that people have caused, knowing that at points in my life, I've even been the one that have caused it and struggling with what forgiveness likes. Like a person that loves Jesus can struggle with forgiveness. Um, It happens regularly, but what will not happen, according to the word of God, is that a new, blood-bought, spirit-infused, like God-loving heart, persisting in these patterns of this sort of self-enslaved, like world-informed, sin-hardened heart, that this is not the nature of the new life that comes by grace alone. Like, we are not those people. He has changed us. And so in that sense, it, it truly could be said with this much broader perspective in mind, like if you do not forgive others their trespasses, as Jesus says, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer that each day we should go to God in light of our need for forgiveness. But he also taught us about the importance of forgiving others. Both Jesus and his apostles made it super clear that those two things are connected. And so with all of that in mind, I want to ask you this this morning. If God wants one of your daily priorities to be forgiveness, then what comes to mind for you today? What or who has God laid upon your heart today? Are there specific sins for which you need forgiveness for and you need to confess and receive the forgiveness that God has granted you? Is there somebody that God is calling you to forgive this morning? And maybe you've been sitting there this morning, like hearing all of this, and maybe even though you believe it, you still feel stuck in this place of anger and resentment in your own life. This, this place of bitterness, this place of unforgiveness. And maybe you've even uttered these words like, I forgive you, but you know the truth about that in your own heart, that truly you have not forgiven them. And there's a bunch of reasons in life that we can find ourselves stuck at times. And I wrestled through this myself. Um, had long talk with our sermon group this week about my, my own unforgiveness and whether or not it's actually happened and laying in bed at night and thinking like, well, if I'm thinking about it, have I actually forgiven them because it's still on my mind? And what does it look like to forgive them? And I want to remind you this, this morning that um, forgiving isn't always forgetting. Like it doesn't mean it's just going to go away. But forgiveness is something that you can grant somebody else and you begin to daily make a decision to move on, to not get hung up on the unforgiveness that wants to just wreak havoc on your heart. Well, one of the most common ways that we find ourselves stuck 
is actually because we simply don't want to be hurt again. And, and so for that reason, uh, we believe that somehow not forgiving that person protects us from that person so we won't be hurt again. And I, I, I want to remind you this morning, friends, that the, this morning God wants you to understand that if you're trying to protect yourself in this way, if you're trying to put up walls to make sure that you don't get hurt again, that you're in fact only hurting yourself. Instead, like God wants you to be able to say, along with David, in the Lord, I take refuge. And but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. Like God has your back. Real, real forgiveness does not involve sort of ditching discernment and um, belittling boundaries and just like being nonchalant about things, but it does involve this willingness in us to to in love step toward the one who hurt you. And that is like the craziest thing about the gospel of Jesus is that even in the days that we live in now that we can watch sides that were once polarized and separated that the enemy wanted to use to decide, divide, like in our current culture right now, there's so much division going on over politics and race and everything. And yet somewhere Jesus is actually moving and wants by his spirit to begin to pull people together to think less about the, the tertiary things and more about what's important and how to love and forgive and begin to be unified with one another. This morning, will you ask him to help you understand your own heart? Would you ask him to shine a light on your current heart condition? Is there unforgiveness that exists there? And ask yourself the question this morning, if you're holding on to unforgiveness, why? Because you were so greatly forgiven. Those of you who have a relationship with Jesus, you've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Why would we withhold that forgiveness to somebody else? Will you ask him this morning for the faith to forgive? And whatever might be holding us back this morning, and whatever obstacles we might face in the future, may the Father help us to remember his words that we read this morning and the importance of forgiveness in Jesus' eyes. Um, as I was studying this week, I just was praying for you guys that uh, because I know that there's some on the other side of this lens this morning that uh, are really struggling with relational conflict with other people. And as you take the Lord's Prayer, I really believe not that there's some method to it and you need to pray it every day and make sure you do these things every day, but I do believe that in the Lord's Prayer are these, these really holistic reminders on a daily basis of who God is and what He does for us. And um, it's simply like when we pray it, we're reminded of who He is and what place He's in, what He's done for us. We're reminded of His provision for us, and then it's only Him that actually provides for us. We're reminded that, that we can forgive others as we have so greatly been forgiven. And that's my prayer for you this morning is that as we read through this over and over and over again, and we daily pray, pray this prayer, may you be reminded this morning of the importance of forgiving others as Jesus has forgiven you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you for the power of forgiveness, God. Uh, Lord, we know that it is painstakingly difficult sometimes to extend a hand or a cup of water to somebody who's hurt us. 
But I'm praying this morning, God, that more than anything, we'd be reminded, reminded of the amazing work that you did for us on the cross. Um, Lord, reminded that even though we have um, failed so often, um, you, Jesus, are the one who's strong in us and have made up for our deficits. Thank you for your grace, God. I'm just daily astounded at the fact that um, you died for me and you died for all of those who are out there this morning and not so that we could just be, quote, saved, God, but that we could be truly forgiven and rescued. And in light of that, Jesus, that we could be um, those who would forgive in the world and those who would make peace and those who would love and extend that grace to others. Jesus, I pray your hand be upon your church today. I pray, Jesus, as the enemy tries so hard to divide your church and um, polarize your church in our current cultural climate, I'm praying, Jesus, that you would remain stronger and brighter and more salty than ever before, that your church would look past the cultural things and look to Jesus this morning to unite us and bring us together. And your church, God, would be brighter than she's ever been as we go out into this world, that we would be the first to love those of all backgrounds and all races and all everywhere, God, that, that we would be the first to um, lay down our lives for others and um, press the importance of the Most High God in our lives. Lord, we love you so much. I pray your hand be upon your church today in your name. Amen.